0: Welcome to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without the bullshit. Here is your host, Bill Faith.
1: The STR Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by Market My STR, the ultimate all-in-one marketing platform for short-term rental hosts. Are you tired of juggling multiple marketing tools? Say goodbye to the hassle and make your life as a host a breeze with Market My STR. Boost your booking rates and increase your revenue in no time with our powerful features. Our platform streamlines your marketing efforts so you can focus on what you do best, providing unforgettable guest experiences. Whether you're a newcomer or a seasoned host, Markham ASTR has got you covered. Stay connected with your guests using our comprehensive set of communication tools. From custom landing pages to text messages, email marketing, and social media integration, we provide all the tools you need. elevate your short-term rental business. Streamline your operations, enhance your guest experience today. Don't settle for less so we can have it all. Make the switch to MarketMySTR's all-in-one marketing platform and watch your business soar. Visit MarketMySTR.com today to sign up for your free trial. That's MarketMySTR.com. Elevate your short-term rental business with MarketMySTR.
0: Welcome back to STR Unfiltered, everybody. I'm Bill Faith, founder of Build Short-Term Rental Wealth, investor, blah, 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 blah. I've been drinking a lot of this lately on my fitness journey, but this is something I'm pretty passionate about. So I'm going to have a little little dip of Diet Coke, and then we'll dive right in. I want to talk about not effing up your your portfolio with cost segregation studies and 1031s. Now, I want to give you a little bit of context behind that statement first. A lot of you are effing up your uh, short-term rental portfolio because a lot of you are just investing for the cost seg benefit. And that's not really the purpose of of this podcast. So if you say, Bill, I've heard you say that before. Yeah, I get it. That's not the purpose. The purpose here is, is to understand what happens when you don't have enough financial wherewithal behind the acquisition of a piece of real estate. And it's a position that I was in when I first started investing into real estate. I didn't have the assets, the cash that I have today. So because that story, because that financial backing is bigger for me today at 50 than it was when I was 24, 25, or even 30 or 35, I can make different moves. I can be a little bit more aggressive. But even today, I only have 30% of my portfolio is encumbered. And that's that's the term that I want you to remember, encumbered. And there's three big things that we do as investors to encumber Our real estate, specifically short-term rentals, because of the loophole. Number one is a 1031. I view, and this might come as a shock to many of you, that I am very conservative in how I spend my money. I'm very conservative in my investments. I am rocket fucking fast when I am making decisions. I am rocket fucking fast when I am underwriting a property because I don't want to let something that is valuable slip through my hands, but I am never rushing and I am never sitting in a place from extreme urgency. It's like John, the great John Wooden, I think the greatest coach of all time, definitely the greatest basketball coach ever, talks about moving swiftly, moving fast, but in control. And here's what happens with 1031 Exchanges. Too many people are trying to move too fast and they're just looking at this as a tax deferral component, which is what it is, but they don't have, when you don't have enough cash, when you don't have enough assets, when you don't have enough financial wherewithal behind that 1031, and then the market takes a 20% hit and you or a spouse lose your W-2 or your other, your primary business takes a 20, 30% hit in revenue or profit and you have to access that cash, you're screwed. For that reason, that's the number one encumbrance. I look at using a 1031 as, wow, that cash is going to my children. I might as well just put that someplace that I will never touch for the rest of my life. And that's going to be left to gentry in Oakland. 1031 is number one. A lot of you are using it recklessly because you're 27, you're 30, and you see that you can tap into $100,000 in equity on your 10% down $500,000 property you bought in 2021 and you're going to 1031 so you can you know move that $375,000 property to a $550,000 property and do another 10% down. And you got $8,000 in the bank. That's reckless. The second thing that I want to talk about is the cost segregation studies. I love them. I take I've been taking advantage of them for 3 years. We're at 80% today. I bought well, I bought one property I'm closing here in the next couple of days on my second property, both in Montana. One's the river house that you've seen. The other one is a condo. Why did I buy the condo? Bill, you always said you'll never buy condos. I bought it because I found one that's creating a new space. It's gonna be turned into a super condo, a super property. It's going to cash flow positively. Am I gonna do 30% cash on cash return? No. Will I do roughly about 20%, maybe 21, 22% in the first year? Yes. Is that good enough for me when I factor in the cost seg benefit with 3% land value and 97% dwelling value on a $950,000 property with all the other ancillary benefits behind it? Yes. The historical appreciation? Yes. Now, if I cost seg that and I was to sell that in a year or two or probably even three or four, like within the first five years, then I really need to understand what that IRS is going to recapture on my accelerated depreciation because if I sell that property for 1.2 million a lot of people think well 950 subtracted from 1.2 is $250,000 what they're not factoring is, is if I sell that in year 2 man there could be 100 g's 75 100 maybe 125,000 recaptured by uncle sam So there goes half of that delta. Now let's factor in closing costs, commissions for the real estate agents. I could walk out of there with a big donut if I have to pay the recapture. That's the cost egg. The cost egg is amazing what it can do for us, specifically if you're a high income earner. I do believe that at 80% value this year, those of you that were cost egging half a million dollar properties or $400,000 properties, probably not worth it at that point to try to get a, a $90,000 net value and you fall into the 32% or 28% tax bracket and you're only getting a 25 or $30,000 tax benefit. I think there's other ways to accelerate your depreciation um, potentially than have to do that, especially those of you that are selling you know, within four months, six months, and then you're gonna buy another property and do a second cost seg within the same year. So that's going on to your same filing. And for 2023 taxes in 2024, that to me is risky that could really flag an audit from the IRS. We've talked about 1031s. We've talked about cost segregation studies. The third one is, and this is really the trifecta when they're all put together, is the DSCR loan product. Now, I want to let you know I've done DSCR loans in the past. Actually, my Beach Mountain property that I sold in May was a DSCR product with the lender. And it was fantastic. It was like four and a quarter, four and a half percent interest rate, 30-year AM on a 40-year note or 40-year AM on a 30-year note. I can't remember exactly, but it had a a three-year prepayment penalty and I sold it a year later. So I had to pay two years of the recapture, two years on a prepayment penalty. Did I did I cost save it? Yes. So if I cost it and I sold it like 13 months later, what do you think I had to do? I had to 1031. That recapture was about $21,000. That is something that most people aren't factoring in because a lot of people are 1031-ing out of a property. Then they're buying, turning property, selling property one, 1031-ing into property two. Then they're doing the cost seg. A lot of you don't have the, the financial wherewithal to qualify for Fannie, Freddie, or a commercial loan. So you're doing a DSCR product and you're doing three to five-year prepayment penalties. Man, if you have to sell that property, you're screwed. You have to sell that within three years, you're in trouble. So here's the crescendo. That is why I only have 30, and I'll never go over 35% of my portfolio over here in this bucket. Yes, I'm using hand gestures. If you're watching on YouTube, you know what I'm talking about. 35% max. I'm about 30% right now that has any one of those encumbrances. And there's one property that has all three that's my Banner Elk property. 1031 into that property with about $400,000 in 1031 funds cost sig that it was 1.6 million, got a, a huge cost benefit off of it. And I did the loan through the lender. And I'm in year three right now of a, going into three, year three, almost to year three, I guess I'm year just over two and a half actually with a three-year prepayment penalty. So once I clear past essentially the end of February of 2024, then the DSCR falls off of that encumberedness. So that means two more years to get through the major component of the recapture in that five-year period for the cost seg benefit. But I have 1031 funds going into it, over just over $400,000 in cash. If I was to sell this property, like especially now within that five years, I would probably eat up the majority of my funds if I did not 1031 from the previous basis that went into the profit, the positive basis to roll into Elk Lodge, roll into the Banner Elk property. And then if I had a recapture of a DSCR product or, or a, recapture, a recapture of a cost seg, even in year three, it would make no sense to sell. So what's the moral of the story for today's podcast? The other Before I get into that, the other thing that plays into this is your age. I was talking to a gentleman today, completely different age, like Ryan Bakey, age 25, completely different than me at age 50. But there's that middle ground. What do you do between like 30 to 40? All of those things, how old you are, how much cash, whether it's in 401k, stocks, bonds, cash, money, market account, whatever it is, but it needs to be some form of liquidity that you can access, not real estate to sell, in my opinion. How much cash you have behind that investment clearly dictates and helps you mitigate the risk of encumbering your properties. So the more cash you have, the more encumbrance I would be comfortable with you making, but the less cash that you have or the younger that you are, the least amount of encumbrance I want you to have. If you're 25 just getting started, 1031 should not be on your mind. Cost seg could be if you're a super high income earner, but you better make good fucking investments. That means tremendous underwriting so you don't make a mistake and you better factor that in. So nobody's talking about factoring in long-term recapture of cost segs. DSCRs when you're running a Performa. I believe everybody in the underwriting process, especially with how uncertain today's economic conditions are, we should be looking at what happens if we have to sell this property 12 months, 24 months, 36 months from now. What is it going to cost me? What am I not seeing either 1031 DSCR or cost saying? Do that and mitigate your risk as you're investing and building out your super portfolio. Thanks for joining me on this episode of STR Unfiltered. As always, please hit the subscribe button. Please leave a review. If you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit subscribe. If you have a comment, just leave it down below. I will personally reply to you. Happy hosting. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you for listening to STR Unfiltered, where we give you actionable episodes without
1: the bullshit.